today's Leading Women episode 110. Women all over the world, get ready for inspiring and empowering interviews from women at the top of their field who are kicking butt in their business and who are prepared to share shocking revelations from being in the limelight. You are now listening to Today's Leading Women with Marie Grace Berg. Are you looking on expanding your audience through podcasting? Learn how to create, grow, and monetize your podcast. Go to learnpodcastingtoday.com to learn more. Yes, women of the world, let's get started. I am delighted to introduce you our amazing guest for today, Anne-Maria DeMars. Anne-Maria DeMars is a statistician, a game developer, PhD, world judo champion, author and mother of four beautiful daughters. She is the CEO and founder of Seven Generation Games, a company involved in changing the way students learn mathematics by making it engaging, interactive, and applicable via gaming technology. Their mission is to change the way students learn math by developing the most engaging and historically accurate educational games. Anne-Maria Dumars, formerly known as Anne-Maria Burns, is an American judoka. She was the first American to win the World Judo Championships, winning the 1984 tournament in the 56 kilogram class. Women of the world, Miss Anne Maria DeMars. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. We are delighted to have you on our show, and I'm sure our listeners are excited to hear from you and your journey as an entrepreneur. Now, Anne Maria, I really like what you're doing with your business. You are a success in your own right. You put in the effort, you know, the sweat equity, the knowledge and the experience to build a special business you call your own. As a result of that, our listeners really want to get to know you. And I want to provide that conduit, you know, that bridge between you and our listeners. So here are some cool questions that we can talk about. Feel free to comment at a time, but these are just general questions that I have in mind. So let's start with your business. You know, there might be people out there who want to start one and have no clue how to go about it. Can you tell us more about your business and idea behind that niche? Sure. Seven Generation Games, right now we're focused on math for elementary and middle school students. And the idea behind it was that a lot of the offerings that are out there don't fit a certain group of kids. The Khan Academy is great if you're fairly motivated, if you're willing to sit down and and watch a video on long division for 15 minutes and that's a really good thing but you know what a lot of kids aren't that motivated and they don't necessarily have someone to sit them down and have them do it and they may have wonderful parents and wonderful teachers but there's other kids running around and other things to do so we wanted to design a math game kids would play that weren't that interested in math and part of it comes from having taught math at every level from middle school through doctoral students and I know that the secret to being good at anything, I, like you said, I was the world judo champion, whether it's math, judo, writing, programming, you do a lot of it. Now, how do you get somebody to do a lot of something? Well, generally, they like it. And I fought with some of my children very much over doing their math homework. So I thought if I could come up with a product where kids did math over and over and over, they would get better at it. And it would make life easier for them, their parents, their teachers. So that's what I wanted to do. And the niche that I saw is there's a couple of problems with a lot of the offerings out there. You have educational games that aren't that educational. 
so you have this what I what I call the shooting and shooting game, shooting and spelling, shooting and multiplication. You know, here's three times five. Shoot at the spaceship. That's the answer. But kids just randomly shoot. Maybe they hit the one that says 15. Maybe they hit the one that says 22. So it doesn't really teach them anything. There's a lot of games like that. You know, there's some multiple choice thing. Pick one of these and you get a bone for your dog or your monkey does a dance. But it's just random guessing. So I thought if you had a game that really was educational, that would be something of great value and interest. And then you have a lot of things, like I said, that are educational, like the Khan Academy, which is a good thing. Um, but are not games. And even the ones that are supposed to be games are just not very fun. So with Seven Generation Games, we looked at games kids like to play, like you know, Mario Brothers or things on the Wii, and said that if we could make a game that combined those two facets, the educational part, where students were actually having to put in the answer, not guess. So one of the things teachers told us is they hated multiple choice because kids could just randomly guess. And if you have four spaceships coming down and you shoot one of them, that's just a fancy way of multiple choice. Another thing that a lot of teachers and parents told us is they would like something where students had to actually think about it. You know, I I have worked with math my whole life and no one ever comes into my office and says, quick, what's seven times eight? You know, they math occurs in context. And I really love math. I think that it has made a huge difference in my life that I was good at math because I wasn't a very prepossessing kid in many, many ways. And the fact that I was good at math and then later programming made a huge difference in my life. So that's kind of where seven generation games came from, from the math perspective. And it's based on the whole storyline on Native American culture, on you know, the games are set in North America four or 500 years ago, depending on which game you're playing. It's been of great interest to Native American kids because it relates to their culture. And so our first beta testers came from schools on American Indian reservations. But then we did a Kickstarter that was successful and more people came to us and said, well, do you have to be Indian to play this game? Because I fight with my kid over doing their math homework too, or my students could use more work on their multiplication tables or division also. So we started out thinking we were going to target the market of of very rural schools, you know, with large populations of Native American students. And it ended up being seven generation games ended up being far broader than we had initially viewed. So we couldn't be happier about that. Wow, I love what I'm hearing about your business and how it evolved, you know, how the idea came into existence. And you know what, I wish I had this during my time, because let me tell you, I am, math is not my strength, but I would have been a whole lot better experience if I had this kind of um, learning that you guys are providing. So thank you for sharing the, the story of how the business evolved. And now, what was the defining moment that prompted you to start this business and made you say, this is my business? Well, I wanted to do an educational game to teach math for many years. But when I originally came up with the idea Computer technology was at the state it was now with the type of graphics and processing speed. So it was an idea before the technology. So when it's probably been about five years as computer speed got better and better, graphics got better and better, and I saw that it was now feasible to put into place some of the things I wanted to do. So it was kind of a coming together an idea I had for a long time. And the real key point was I was in Washington, D.C., analyzing the data for the National Indian Education Study. 
And I shared a taxi back to the airport with a friend of mine who at the time was the president of the school board on the Spirit Lake Dakota Nation. And he was talking about his concern about the math scores of the kids at the school and said, I don't believe that children should have to choose between learning about culture and history and mathematics, that there must be a way that those things can be integrated so kids can be learning math within their culture. And that's a big part of what we do at Seven Generation Games. And I think it's also been a a real attraction to school districts, as well as parents and homeschoolers, that students can be learning, for example, about herbs that Native Americans used for for healing, because one of the, the first challenges in the game is your whole tribe is sick. And you have to go find this particular herb and bring back enough. And if 24 people are sick and it takes four for each person, then how many herbs do you need? And so as they go through the woods, they find the right herb, but it also happens to be what was actually used. And so you can click on that and it will tell you that this is the purple coneflower and Native Americans use this for healing. And I, we had a testimonial recently from a teacher from Los Angeles Unified, and he said that the history in there is the kind of history that he likes to teach, that it's not just names and dates, it's how people lived. And so I think it was, you know, working, just working with Eric, Dr. Eric Longy, who to this day is one of our cultural consultants, when he said, we have to find a way that kids don't have to choose between mathematics and these other areas of life that we feel are important, put that together and make something that kids will play. So that is a cab ride to the airport. Wow, what a defining moment that was. It was almost like it was a fluke, but then you you saw that there was a need for it, and then you went ahead and filled that need. Now, your business obviously has a vision to be the market leader in your industry, and that resonates very well with a particular portion of our listeners. However, they really like to know what was the compelling vision for your business that continues to drive you towards success day in and day out. I would like to see seven generation games as common in schools as a textbook. So that's what I think about every day. And we're starting out now. We're just finishing up the beta test for our first game. Spirit Lake, the game has been in 20 schools. We've had over a thousand beta testers. So we're just now going to commercial release May 1st. And every day I think about how can we make this better? How can we make this better? Because if it's good enough everybody will use it. So I think that's the thing too, partly that I want to go into every classroom and see kids playing our games. And it is really cool now when I go into the games that started out as beta testers and are now using it in every class and see posters, you know, up seven generation games. It's, yeah, I want to be everywhere. Absolutely. And I can see that how, how seven generation games, the, the, the way that you're learning, you get, have this, the, the learning way, the learning method um, can be really useful to, to students. And I hope to see that uh, in, in every classroom as well. I mean, I can see really the, the vision there. I mean, to have it on every, every schools, every classroom that uh, students can benefit from. Love it. Now, let's talk about how you prepared for success that turned this vision into a reality. Can you share our listeners what are some of your personality traits or your top three personal qualities that help you become a successful entrepreneur that our listeners can learn from? 
Well, there are a couple, and it's funny because my my daughters and my niece, who also lived with us for a few years, still talk about some of them. I think one's a really simple thing, but it has made the biggest difference in my life, and it is always do one more thing. And what I mean by that is, you, you know, I had four kids, and I, a lot of times I travel for business. I'm going to one school district to another. I get back to the hotel, and it's late at night, and I'm in a different time zone. I'm tired. And always I'll do one more thing. For example, on the game, I try and do something every day. So I will say, oh, we got an email from somebody saying they thought the graphics on the first herb hunt were kind of low resolution. So I'll replace the picture in there with something that's a little better. Or we got a new video clip from one of our animators that I think explains the fishing scene better. I'll drop that in. So I think just always doing one more thing, whether it's answering one email, and usually I try to make it not a two-minute thing, but a half-hour thing to just say I, I'm working on a report to a, f- a funding agency that gave us funding for the game. And so I'll write a couple of pages on that. And your people always ask me, how do you get so much done, you know, with four kids and a business and volunteering? And, and I jokingly say because my year has 13 months in it but it does if you do half an hour more at the end of the day when you're tired you think I'm, I'm ready to knock it off if you could focus just for another half hour 365 days a year you know that's over 180 hours that's four and a half work weeks so yeah I always do one more thing and you will be amazed how much difference it makes and another thing and I think people ask me often I, I I'm have lovely children, I think. Um, three of them are 31, 28, and 27, and they've been very successful academically, professionally, all of them. And my 16-year-old is, is lovely also and doing well. And I think one thing that I have done right with them and in my life is to learn to sacrifice what I want now for what I want most. And I tell them that often that, you know, my youngest one, she might want to go and hang out with her friends or go shopping, but she has an AP World History exam coming up and she needs to sit down for an hour and study that. And believe me, lots of arguing comes along with this. But, you know, my third daughter was in a couple of Olympics as the current UFC world champion. And again, you know, there's times when she wants to stay sitting down drinking her coffee from Starbucks, but she gets up and she goes to the gym because what she wants most is to hold on to that world title. What she wants now is to stay sitting there drinking her coffee. So I think if you ask yourself every day, if you're doing that, are you getting up, giving up what you want now for what you want most, that will make a huge difference. And I guess you said three. So I think the third thing was from Winston Churchill, although he may not have been the first person that said it, which is to never, 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 never give up. That there are so many times my husband passed away when I was 36. My I had three small children. Um, you know, there there have been some tough times in life, and I don't always get every grant that I submit to. You know, sometimes our games have problems in them, and it's very frustrating. And I'm not the typical face of what somebody thinks of a, as a tech startup. I'm over 50. I'm female. I'm Hispanic. Um, so there are plenty of people who don't think I will be successful, but you know what? I'm still here. So 
There you go. Wow, love those personal traits or qualities that you, you just shared. And for our listeners, let me just summarize those. So you first, well, the first one is to always be doing one more thing. You know what? And that equates, for example, doing something, doing a small thing that moves your business forward. And you also touch upon being focused on on. Um, having focus and then the second one is to learn you know this is huge learn to delay what we i can also say that this instant gratification um that we have in our society nowadays so learn to delay what you want for now versus what you uh, what you must have or what you must have later so i i thought i can say that yeah i Maybe because we are in an era where we like this all this instant gratification with a lot of things. So if we can delay that, you know, that gratification, that would help us um, choose what is what's better, what's what's better for us. And then the third one, which is really huge, is to never ever give up. And I really love that because for us entrepreneurs, there are going to be a lot of challenges along the way. And when we have when we have this attitude that. We should not be giving up, especially when we meet those hardships. You know, it will test our strength. It will test our commitment, our dedication. But this is an attitude or a trait that we can develop. And if we are really passionate about what we're doing, we shouldn't be giving up on our dreams. So thank you for sharing those. Those are huge takeaways for our listeners to learn as well. Now, let's talk about what happened when you started your journey as an entrepreneur. You know, as entrepreneurs, we face daily challenges that define our being. And to get through those challenges takes a very special person. And our audience wants to know that special person in you. So what have been your biggest challenges and how have you addressed or overcame those barriers to success that a lot of women entrepreneurs face today? Well, writing games it's a thousand moving pieces. So you need art, you need animation, you need programmers, you need somebody to you know manage all of that, to schedule it. Once the game is done, you need beta testers, you need people that will, in-house, who will play the game over and over and identify any problems. It, because we do educational games, you need educational consultants who can say, this is the common core standards at, at fourth grade for number and operations. And here's some examples. Um, because we also incorporate history, we need people as specialists in history. So one of the challenges has been identifying all of the people that can do a really good job of building a game like that. And then, of course, coming up with the money to pay them. So we're not, you know, again, I'm not a Mark Zuckerberg lookalike. And I will just be right up front about a challenge. Anybody who thinks that Silicon Valley is a meritocracy is fooling themselves. If you fit a certain demographic, white or Asian, male, under 30, uh, you know, went to Stanford, you know, went to some Ivy League school, you're what they're looking for. And when they say they invest in people, not products, often it means we want a certain type. We're comfortable with people that look like us. Well, I look more like your mate. So from the beginning, I figured the probability of us getting money from angel investors, venture capitalists was not as high as it would be for some others. You know, and I've had some meetings with people, but how I overcame that, partly because this is not the first business I started. I was a statistical consultant for many years, ran a successful um, company doing customized statistical programming. So we had enough funds from other ventures that had been successful that we could take some of the money and pay some of those artists and animators out of our own money 
And we're pretty good developers here at Seven Generation Games. We do our own coding in-house. So we we did it ourselves or we paid for it. And when we thought about investors, we figured, well, you know, if we really believe that this company is going to be successful, which we do, why are we giving up equity to somebody else? Why don't we just invest in it ourselves? And I believe that you want to have a balanced portfolio for your investment. So we have money invested in, you know, the typical widow and orphan funds, the very stable hedge fund type, not hedge fund, but mutual fund type of things. But then we also said, well, for the money we would put in more risky investments, instead of putting it in some other startup, let's put it into ourselves. So partly, yeah, we bootstrapped it with money from other ventures. And we tried to turn those things that some people might think of as disadvantages into advantages. You know, some people might say, oh, you know, you're over 50. That's, you know, not, you know, startups are a young person's game. And what I said is, my kids are grown. I don't have three and four, five-year-old kids around the house that I need to to drag off to soccer and make sure they learn their ABCs and that anymore. So I have time. The other thing is, I have money. Because the advantage of, you know, having worked at, done, you know, done a couple of other companies is that I have enough that I can take money out of my savings. I have money to invest and go and hire those artists and hire those animators. And the other thing is that I have skills. And I'm saying this, you know, me personally, but I mean this for any person who is, you know, doing a startup, you know, after they're 30 years old or 40 years old, that you've learned something in those years. In my case, it was a lot about statistics and a lot about programming. And I've taught at a number of levels. So I I think be you know, overcoming that challenge has been to take a look at not, at things that some people might see as disadvantages and turn those into advantages. Wow. I, I mean, I'm sure all, our listeners can relate to what you've just shared because especially the, the getting the funding part and then managing or putting your team together, the, the, the qualified people together to build this uh, this educational games I must take a lot of uh, you know work and effort but uh, for our listeners out there you know and Maria was able to do it by being resourceful and you know ha- and being pre- prepared for it I and mean, having the funding to be able to you know hire people that can do the job so for our listeners out there this challenge just can be solved and that should not deter you from moving forward and build this business that you are passionate about it's just uh being resourceful enough to find ways and means to to deal with them or to manage whatever challenges that comes along the way because they're going to be there are two other things we did too Mm -hmm. um when you know, we, like I said, we, we had some meetings with angel investors and, then it, and it was pretty clear that they were looking for people that looked different from us. But we also did a Kickstarter campaign that was successful. So one thing I found after the fact is that less than 5% of Kickstarter campaigns are successful in getting over $20,000, but we were in that group. So Kickstarter is another option. And then we also received federal funding twice from the U.S. Department of Agriculture. They have um, Small Business Innovation Research Awards. And under the Rural and Economic Development category, we were funded for a Phase 1 award where they gave us $100,000. And then we're also funded for a Phase 2 award where we did our prototype. It was successful. They 
thought that we had good potential of commercialization, so we got another 450000 So even if you don't have a lot of funds of your own, there, there are other opportunities. Like I said, Kickstarter was one, and the Small Business Innovation Research Awards were another, SBIR. And both of them, I will tell you, were an enormous amount of work, just, just to be aware of that up front. So you can do it, and you don't have to have your own funds, but it's a huge amount of work. There you go. So there are there are some those are some of the ways that you can um, deal with this challenge that uh, getting funding uh, uh, it has, especially for those who are starting a, a business out there. So we have these kickstart campaigns. They also have these crowdfunding sources, and then these other sources from small business funding sources, for example. Just have to do your research, and and, and of course, like what Anne Maria said, be willing to the work needed to get those funding approved. All right, now let's just switch gears for a little bit and talk about work-life balance. You know, being a business owner myself, maintaining a work-life balance is so crucial to overall success in life. Now, the challenge with entrepreneurs is how to click on and click off and create the work-life balance, particularly if you have a family juggling many roles. So in your life as an entrepreneur, how do you maintain this work-life balance? And what are some of the ways that you accomplish this in the areas of your health, your family, your relationships and your business well I think initially I was pretty terrible about that um, I think we I, all are <laughs> you know I was that mom you see in those horrible Disney movies that was on her cell phone you know watching the kids you know score the winning soccer goal but I think I've gotten better at it if recently and you know I have a good friend who runs IT for a large organization and he said to me we're not doing brain surgery. You know, it's not that like, if I don't call somebody back within the hour, someone's going to die. And he said, no, I, when I'm not there, I'm not there. So I have learned, I used to be really obsessive about, you know, if I had a, if I had a client that sent me an email, somebody had a problem that I answered them within the hour. And then I thought, you know, I don't expect that of other people. And now I answer within 24 hours. But the other part, too, is when you get to the point where you're not the only person, where there are other people that you can delegate those responsibilities to. So I think once you get past being a, a sole practitioner and, and have other people, you will learn to rely on those other people. And I think there's a reason why investors are reluctant to invest in one-person startups because every, you, know, you have one person trying to do everything. So I think that you have to realize you can't do everything and start delegating that. So that's one way to maintain balance. The other is, you know, as my friend said, when you're not there, don't be there. So I try very hard when I go on vacation to turn my phone off, leave my laptop at home. Now, like I said, I'm very bad at that. So I never managed to go on vacation for more than two or three days. And I know other people call them weekends. So yeah, I might take two or three days off a month and work the other 27, 28 days. But when I take those days off, I try to just go to the Getty and walk around or go to a cottage and lay there and read a book. So I figure if you work, you know, if you work 28 days a month and you work 10 hours a day and you're not making it, then there's something wrong. Wow, I love those tips that you've just shared because you know what, for me too, I mean, work-life balance to me is, is a myth. 
But uh, because you know what, we are so passionate about what we're doing that sometimes work is no longer work for us. But it's really important, like what you said, to really find that time to you know to disconnect. I mean, to have a, a time for yourself to really re-energize or rejuvenate, as they said, and to and to delegate some responsibilities so you can free up those times to do other priorities, those other priorities in your life. Um, business is one thing, but we also have the family and we also have ourselves to take care of. And being a nurse myself, I'm really big on this to really take care of ourselves because it's our biggest investment. And if we are not healthy or if our body and mind are not healthy, then we'll be able to build this business that we so love or we are passionate about. So yeah, there are ways to deal with this work-life balance, whatever it is that you know, that is, that you know, relates to your life or whatever your condition is at the moment, find those times uh, that you need to, to have uh, building your business and for your family and also for your personal time and take well, care of yourself well. Or well, why. the other thing is, you know, I think too many people try to be the perfect mother, the perfect housewife. And I've told people before, if you're coming to see, if you're coming to see me to see a perfectly maintained house, don't come. Because, <laughs> you know, if you have small children or even if you have several not very small children, your house is not going to be spotless all the time. So what? Yes, absolutely. Be okay with that. You know what? And, <laughs> you know, this other thing too is that, you know, I, I know people that they feel obligated to every single event that their child ever does because they're... You know, they don't want to be the bad mom that's working. Yeah, it doesn't bother me at all. Like I said, those stupid Disney movies when, you know, the kid's going, oh, my mother wasn't here when I was playing in the state finals in basketball. And I would tell my youngest daughter particularly because she loves watching those movies. I said, you know why that kid could afford to go to the state finals? Because her mom has that job. (laughs) (laughs) So, no, I you don't have to be there for everything. And and you should feel okay with that and not feel guilty on those times that you can't. Love it. Now, your business appears to be financially doing quite well. And with that success, flows into other areas in the entrepreneur's life. Now, we'd like to also say that success is a mindset. You know, I can have $10 in my pocket, but my mind feels like a millionaire. I feel great about myself and I'm moving forward. The opposite way will be a multi-billionaire and be totally miserable. So am I successful? Financially, yes individually probably not so in your journey as an entrepreneur what does success mean to you and what are some of the benchmarks that you use to measure your success well i think when i quit having to ever 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 make the payroll out of my personal <laughs> bank account that was a big success so because you know when you start up and you have employees sometimes if um the cash flow is off like we'll sell obviously we'll sell a lot more games around christmas time because even though schools are a big part of our market a lot of people are last-minute shoppers or people that want to give their niece or nephew or somebody that they don't see that often, but they know they should give something. So we'll get, you know, say a lot more sales around Christmas time. So cash flow isn't always even. And there have been times when I had to make up the payroll out of my, my personal bank account so everybody got paid. And as an entrepreneur, you're the last person that gets paid, you know, if you run the company. So... When it had been a very, very long time since I'd ever had to do that, I think that was a benchmark of success. Just being able to uh, you know, look at, at our, our projections now and see that we've got 
we've got enough con- we've got enough clients, consumers, we've got enough cash flow, we've got enough people in the right place to see that we're stable, not worrying about from month to month, are we going to make it? And I don't think those are things that happen one day. Um, now, I had my former company, Spirit Lake Consulting, that was a sort of benchmark where we had a million dollars in sales, and that was huge. But I think with Seven Generation Games, it's been more a gradual progression of, of, of building the business. So I, I don't know if there's been any one thing. As far as what makes us successful, I think every time I go into a school and I see kids playing the game, it's just pretty amazing to see something that was just in your brain and now it's a real thing and people are using it. Wow, I love those the the the, the way you inter- the, the, your perspective on success and the benchmarks that you've just shared for our listeners to learn as well. Now, let's talk about one of the highlights of our show and that's your advice for other entrepreneurs and those aspiring to be because you obviously got some lessons learned under your belt of experience. So, take it back to the past. Say you're going to start all over again as an entrepreneur and you are in a class with other entrepreneurs who are hungry and thirsty for success or even for making that first buck. What types of special suggestions or advice and lessons that you learned would you give your fellow entrepreneurs knowing where you came from and where you are headed at? And if you can boil them down to your top three tips or advice, what would those three be? I stole this from somebody else because I was at a meeting once and um, she was giving advice to um, people, beginning entrepreneurs, and I thought it was brilliant. She said, don't believe everyone else knows more than you. And I, I think there are a lot of people as, as I get older and more cynical and more experienced that, that are faking it and I can tell. But when I was younger, I couldn't, didn't realize that. Um, for example... I'm a programmer. I do my own development. Um, there are two of us in the company that do almost all of the development. And I run into people at events that act like they're developers, and maybe they're okay, but they're not nearly as good as I would say we are at our office here. But years ago, I wouldn't have spotted that because they acted like they were just smarter than God, and there was no development program that they couldn't solve. And and I realize, of course, <laughs> now that I'm older and more experienced, that that's not true, that no matter how good you are, no matter how long you've been doing something, you run into problems. I mean, I, you know, one of my co-founders, there, there are three of us that co-founded Seven Generation Games, and two of us do development, and one is, um, you know, software development, one is focused on marketing. And I would say one of my co-founders probably the most brilliant developer I've ever met. I mean, there, there's very little when it comes to, to coding that he can't solve eventually. And I'd say I'm pretty decent myself. And yet we will fairly regularly run into something that takes us days to figure out, sometimes weeks. So I think women especially, and especially in tech, are, are often not if not actively discouraged, they're not encouraged. And so when they run into one of those problems, they think, oh, well, this just isn't for me, or I don't have a brain for math, or, you know, I'm not cut out for software development. And what they don't realize is that everybody runs into those bottlenecks, and that's why they call it hacking. You know, you just bang away at it until until you you figure it out. And it's it's like I tell people all the time, you know, it's a battle between me and the, the computer. And by God, this computer is not going to win. So I think that's it. Don't believe other everybody knows more than you. 
everybody started out, you know, when when I wrote my first game, people said, well, you don't have any, game, any experience in developing a game. Well, I have lots of experience in, in writing, writing code, and so I can figure it out. And you know what? Nobody has any experience in anything until the first time, and then they do. So, yeah, I would say don't let that you don't have any experience thing thing hold you back because you can get experience by doing it. Don't believe everybody knows more than you. And I think people often underestimate really how long it's going to take to make it. It seems long when you're in that process, but then you look back and it doesn't seem that long. So don't give up. But if the first idea doesn't pan out, realize that often you're going to have to pivot. And I think that's maybe a cliche, but it's really true. When I started Seven Generation Games, initially my idea was I wanted to do online courses in statistics for community college students, for sort of remedial ed type of stuff for students who came in, many, many do, um, who are not really at college level and they end up taking a year or more of courses to get caught up. And I thought I would really like to do that. I, I teach college, I teach a college class once a year just because I enjoy doing it. And I went and talked to a number of people in communities where I thought I would sell these game, these courses. And they said, we really need something earlier in the educational pipeline. We really want something at the middle school level or earlier. So I think you can't be too wedded to an idea. On the other hand, you don't want to just give up and do you know, go go whichever the way the market sends you because there are people who said, we'll invest in your company if you want to do things at the K through two level because we're interested in doing like, you know, uh, kindergarten, preschool, primary grades. And I wasn't interested in doing that. And I mean, I think it's a fine thing to do, but I thought that where kids really needed help was at starting to apply mathematics. And that's why I saw a lot of kids falling out of the educational pipeline. So I think you know, don't believe everybody knows more than you. Don't give up when it gets hard and be ready to make modifications, but not too much. Wow. Love those takeaways that you've just shared. And I'm sure our listeners can take action on today. So for our listeners out there, uh, if you weren't able to jot those down, I'm going to have them on the show notes as well. Now, Anne-Maria, what's one favorite business resource or a tool that you use in your business that's radically changing the way you do business that our listeners can learn from? Sorry, that's my office phone. <laughs> it, it, you know, it's funny. It's not like a, a, a brand new, cool, cutting edge thing. But we use Google Apps for business for everything because our company is spread out. So there are, we have two people up in the Bay Area, Northern California. We have three people down here in LA. We have one person in San Diego. We have five people on two different American Indian reservations in North Dakota that are a couple hours apart. So, you know, we've got people all over the country and to keep them all working together is not that simple. So we use Google apps for document sharing. We are constantly sharing things with you know the artist will put it in their file and share it with me and the animator and then somebody else will do the dialogue and they'll share that so we use google apps for that we use google hangouts for 
weekly meetings. We have a, a weekly marketing management meeting. We have a weekly administrative staff meeting. We have occasional meetings with the artists and animators. We use the spreadsheet function for tracking all of our changes that are, that are coming up in the games. So it's just something I'm on, I would say, at least two hours every day. Yes. I mean, I think it costs us like seven or nine bucks a staff member for the month, for a month. So I, I tried a couple of, and it, this is kind of maybe useful, but I tried a couple of free things, you know, um, we went with the free version of Dropbox for a while. We tried Zoho and they just didn't fit what we needed. So sometimes the difference between free and a small amount is, is dramatic. Same thing with, um, I know this is specific to us, but we do software development. So IDE is an integrated development environment. I use WebStorms. Another one of our developers uses PHP Storms. There's free things out there, but for the time it saved us for 99 bucks, it was just so worth it. So Google Apps for Business for everything, for management, marketing types of stuff, staff coordination has been just immensely helpful. Yes, yeah, it's been re- yeah, it's really helped. Uh, the, the Google pl- platform actually really helpful, especially for us business owners. And we have to leverage the, uh, and use it for our business, like what Anne Marie just shared, because it's really, it's really intuitive, and they, have a, they, they can offer a lot of for us that we, we just know how to use them. So Google Apps, um, you can. You can research that one on, of course, on Google. But there's a lot. Like I used the I used the Hangouts and Google Docs and the spreadsheets, and it's really easy, especially if you want to share it with your team who are, for example, who are not who are virtual, for example, or another country or another another state. Like that's really easy to use the Google platform. So check that one out for our listeners out there. Now, what's one? Uh, uh, book that you could recommend our listeners that can, you know, help them grow personally and professionally? Well, I will recommend two because I, I had one favorite book for a long time, but um, the, I also read another one I really like. There's Growing a Business. If you're starting out a business, things by Paul Hawken, it, it's over, well over 25 years old. I read it when I first started my business, my first started my first business, and he gives great advice. One of the things he points out is, and I think it's helped me dramatically over the years, is really keep your operating costs low if you can. Um, we're moving into a new office in a couple of months. And for years, we managed to operate out of two offices in my house in Santa Monica. So we've got an office upstairs and an office downstairs. And then we had an office on one of the reservations. But other than that, um, you know, that was it. Now we're, we're, in fact, one of our staff members is right now out looking at office space to rent. But because we were able to keep those costs down for a long time, it, we never had to worry as much about how we were going to make it. You know, if you, if you can keep your overhead as low as possible. So growing a business, he talks about a lot of just really practical advice like that. Do things yourself. Don't go out and hire the best artist, the best animator right away, you know, make something, make some money, bring in some more money, and then maybe spend a little bit more on marketing. But he talks, he literally talks about growing a business. It's a really good book. Um, The other one is just came out. It's by Ben Horowitz, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. 
And it's a great book specifically on, on tech companies and startups. And a lot of the things you have to do, for example, when you grow from a three-person office to a 20-person office, that's a different setting. When you go from, you know, 20 to 200 people, which we're not there yet, that's a different setting again. And so the people who maybe fit in early on aren't the people who fit later. And he talks about a lot of things, you know, when you have to fire people, which is never a fun task. And it's a really good book because often you read these things on on starting a business, running a business, and it makes it all sound like it's rainbows and unicorns. And we did this, and then all of a sudden people drove by, and we had the door open, and they threw in a bag of money, and... It's not really how it works. Yeah, so that's Growing a Business by Paul Hopkins and The Hard Things About Hard Things by, uh, was it Ben, ben Horowitz. Horowitz. Wow, yeah. I'm definitely going to be checking those uh, books as well. And for our listeners out there, I'm going to have those on the show notes as well. Now, Anne-Maria, in my mind, you are a superhero, or shall I say superheroine, because you have done this, you have done that, but you've also experienced a lot of challenges that our listeners definitely relate. So if you were a superhero or superheroine, who do you want to be and why? And it doesn't have to be a cartoon character, but can be someone you admire and look up to. (laughs) I will tell you the truth. When I was a little kid, I wanted to be president of General Motors because General Motors is the biggest company in the world, probably certainly the biggest in the U.S. And I wanted to be president of General Motors. (laughs) I I think now... um, I would just like to be me. Yes, of course. That's the superhero version of yourself. I think that's the, what, for, for, to me, I think that's one of the, ha- the best thing that we can, we can uh, strive to achieve is the best version of ourselves, the superhero of our, we are the superheroes of our, of our own right. Love that. And I, I, I laugh about what you said about being, wanting to be the president of General Motors because I, I remember my mom and I couldn't relate to her uh, when she was, uh, when she was telling us about, about one of the presidents of this uh, General Motors because we have this car by General Motors and she was an avid fan of them. So I, I, I that one, you know, got me into thinking about what my mom used to comment about that. So thank you for all right now tell our listeners where you know what's the one big benefit that they can get with your product or with the service and where they can get it and where they can connect with you and kind of watch how you grow and succeeding more so that they can serve as an example for our own efforts and uh, so we all can be more than aware today well there are three benefits the big one of course is the games design the games are designed to teach kids math so if you have a child that you in your life whether it's your little brother, little sister, your own child, niece, nephew, whatever, uh, it, it's a really good way to get them to practice math and learn to understand math as applied, not just you know somebody randomly throwing out numbers. But if you're walking down a path and you're trying to keep track, which is this is often how people did, of you know where are you going and it's 599 steps and 278 this way, how many do you go the next way. So it's good for learning math. It's good for learning about culture, specifically Native American culture that a lot of people are interested in now. And we have people on the different reservations from the different tribes helping us design it. So it's not um, history written by people who were the winners, as a friend of mine often says, but it's history written by the people who are actually involved. So if you're interested in Native Americans and Native American culture, it's very unique. Uh, and if you just would like to play a game for fun and pretend that you're doing something productive, 
you get to shoot wolves and buffalo and, and run around a virtual world. So I think though there's three benefits. There's fun, there's learning history, and there's learning math. And they can get it at our website. It's www7, which is the number seven, sevengenerationgames.com. They can find all kinds of other cool stuff about us there, too. All right. So, again, that link is 7, the number 7, generationgames.com. And, by the way, all of these resources and the links that are mentioned in today's podcast will be made available in a beautiful infographic show notes at todaysleadingwomen.com forward slash Anne-Maria DeMars. Or you can just type in her name on the search bar and it will find it for you. So don't worry if you weren't able to jot those down. I'm going to have them on the show notes again. But again, the link is 7generationgames.com. And Maria, thank you so much for being so generous in sharing your time and your inspiring story, your expertise for being a role model to many and for bringing such a positive energy with our listeners today. Women of the world, including me, appreciate you and wish you more success in business and in your life. Well, thank you very much. Podcasting is taking the world by storm. If you are a marketer and not using this platform, your business is missing out on a big opportunity to reach a wider audience. Find out how you can create, grow, and monetize your podcast and take your podcasting skills from novice to experts. Go to learnpodcastingtoday.com now. Feeling inspired and empowered to make it happen? Then take the next step and go get your free guide to the top three iPhone apps that these high-achieving women use to get things done lightning fast today. Visit todaysleadingwomen.com slash apps for your free download, and we'll see you on the next episode of Today's Leading Women with Marie Grace Berg.